I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Hi, y'all. Sorry I disappeared off the face of the earth for a moment there. I was planning on this being my mid-May episode, but here we are at the very end of the month, and I'm only just getting it recorded. Various things just kept coming up and delaying me, and to be honest, I was just too tired in mind and spirit to get it done. But instead of kicking myself for that and just sort of forcing myself to get this episode done, I decided to give myself some grace. Last weekend, my wife and I went to Northeast Georgia to celebrate our two-year wedding anniversary at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains, and whew, I now feel so refreshed and revivified. I really needed that dip into the kind of quiet that presses your ears in an embrace and fills you up from head to toe. We were gone for a few days, and during those days, I did absolutely nothing productive. No work at all, for the first time in who knows how long. And I didn't let myself feel guilty about it. Hopefully with that time to recharge, I'll now be able to be a bigger help to everyone, including myself. And being a help to one another is sort of the theme of this episode, particularly how we help one another enter into ever broader glimpses of the divine simply by all bringing our unique experiences and perspectives into dialogue together. I preached the sermon that makes up the body of this episode at my home church a few weeks ago. I've always deeply loved the Acts 8 story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which I'll read a couple minutes into the sermon, so don't worry if you're not familiar with this story. For now, know that the book of Acts takes place not long after Jesus died and rose again and then zoomed on up into heaven after promising his followers that he'd send the Holy Spirit down to empower them to continue his ministry where he left off. The Philip guy in the Acts 8 story is one of those followers who received the Holy Spirit and now is walking around telling everyone who will listen about how cool this Jesus guy is. You should also know that at this point in Acts, almost all of Jesus' followers are Jewish. They consider themselves a sort of new sect or offshoot of Judaism, but in Acts 8 and the chapters that come after it, they start to realize that actually you don't have to be Jewish to be baptized into what will one day be Christianity. The story in Acts 8, where Philip is sent by the Holy Spirit to converse with an Ethiopian eunuch, kicks off this realization that Gentiles, or non-Jews, are welcome to join. The one last bit of context you need to understand this sermon is that when I mention a Tuesday talkback session throughout the sermon, that's what my congregation calls the virtual meetings that anyone is invited to attend each Tuesday, where we all read together from whatever Bible passages will be preached on that coming Sunday. The main point of these sessions is to help the preacher brainstorm ideas for their sermon, but also just to get to know the Bible a little better as a group. 
This Tuesday session in particular proved really helpful to the sermon that I wrote after it. So I mention it quite a bit within the sermon itself, as you'll hear or read if you're reading along to this episode's transcript. Alrighty, that's enough introductory material. Let's get into the sermon right after you hear from another podcast on the Rock Candy Network. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. The scripture story I am about to read is near and dear to the hearts of various communities, from many African and African-American churches to many intersex and queer persons. It's the tale of one of Christianity's earliest converts, whose baptism as a black person who defied normative categories of gender, religion, and class confirms that Jesus' love not only permits but embraces marginalized persons in all of our diversity. However, it is also one of those Bible passages so packed with ancient concepts that the author just assumes we all know that it's hard for us modern readers to fully grasp all that's going on in it. Because of this, I'm going to take you through the passage in bite-sized portions instead of reading through it all at once. Before the first portion, let me fill you in on the cultural context most unfamiliar to our own time and place some of the nuances around what it meant to be a eunuch in the ancient world. A eunuch was typically a person who was castrated in order to be rendered infertile. While Israel and Judah forbade castration, many of their neighboring nations would appoint eunuchs to powerful positions because there was no fear of a eunuch producing their own heir to challenge a sovereign's heir. But, even when granted high status, eunuchs were stigmatized by their societies, considered emasculated, defective, not-quite men. Eunuchs were considered valuable for the roles they played, as they could move between the social spaces of men and women, but they were never fully accepted as belonging to any space. As Peterson Toscano puts it, As non-procreative males who did not experience puberty, eunuchs stood out. In a world where it seemed everyone was part of a family unit, they were single. In a world where there were clear divisions between male and female, they were neither, or they were both. It's this liminal, non-binary existence that has drawn various transgender persons to the biblical eunuchs. We likewise know what it is to be shunned and shamed on account of gender or sex. I myself feel a deep sense of kinship to the Ethiopian eunuch of today's Bible story from a non-binary perspective. Because I am emphasizing the non-binary aspects of this person's identity, I've chosen to translate the Greek with they-them pronouns for the eunuch instead of the traditional he-him pronouns. There's one more thing I want to bring up before we dive into the story, and that is my deep gratitude for the people who came to this past Tuesday's Talk Back session. Today's reading centers around a conversation between two unlikely friends, and at that Talk Back session, we engaged in an enriching conversation of our own. 
I've been studying this Acts 8 passage for years now, reading books and articles, translating the Greek, but nothing can replace a real conversation with a group of different people all coming together to talk it out. Our little group included folks of various nationalities, neurotypes, religious upbringings, career paths, and family dynamics. It was a wonder to see how, as one person shared an insight about this story that their own unique experience allowed them to have, others in the group would listen thoughtfully and then build upon that insight with ideas of their own. So, as I guide you through this story more deeply, I'll be doing so with insights I would not have had without each and every person who came to the Tuesday Talkback session, as well as the wisdom of the various scholars, pastors, and everyday persons who have also talked at length about this text and from whom I have learned so much. Listen now for the first segment of our reading from the Book of Acts, Chapter 8. My translation. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and head south, on the road going down from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert road. So he got up and went. And look, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury, and who had come to worship in Jerusalem. They were heading back home and sitting in their chariot, and they were reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, approach and stick close to this chariot. After running up to the chariot, Philip heard the eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you really understand the things you're reading? The eunuch replied, how could I possibly if no one will guide me? So they invited Philip to come up and sit with them. We open with an angel telling Philip to go into the desert to catch up with someone who had just been in Jerusalem. And you gotta ask, couldn't the angel have sent Philip after this traveler before they'd made it all the way out into the desert? Maybe Philip could have tracked the eunuch down while they were still in Jerusalem, and they could have had their life-changing conversation over a nice meal in the shade, instead of with a hot sun blazing overhead and stirred up sand in their eyes. But the desert, or wilderness, is the Bible's quintessential liminal space. It's where the liberated Hebrews wandered, where God came first to Hagar and later to Elijah in their despair, where Jesus fasted 40 days. It's that strange space between enslavement and liberation, question and answer, where the veil between the supernatural and the earthly is at its thinnest. Thus, the desert is the perfect place, possibly the only place, for these two people to meet. Anywhere else, human norms and conventions would have kept them firmly in separate spheres. Philip, the Palestinian Jewish man who had joined an up-and-coming sect that claimed Jesus as their Lord, was not supposed to associate with the likes of an Ethiopian eunuch, whose identity is labeled a quadruple threat of gender, race, class, and religion by trans theologian Austin Hartke. When we look at how Acts 8 describes Philip's first sighting of this eunuch, we can note each facet of that quadruple threat as it registers in Philip's mind. At our Tuesday talkback session, John W. explained the cinematography of the scene. 
The camera follows Philip as he journeys down the road and zooms in when he spots a chariot up ahead decked out in symbols of a foreign power. Look, the text says, and shows us what Philip sees as he squints to glimpse who is riding in the chariot. An Ethiopian man. No, wait, not a normative man, but a eunuch. Probably identifiable as such from their lack of facial hair, and their voice carried back to Philip as the eunuch reads from Isaiah had never dropped with puberty. An Ethiopian would be troubling enough. Ethiopia was one of Rome's primary military threats. Philip, whose own people was subjugated by Rome, would be wise not to interact with the treasurer of the Ethiopian queen herself. Add to the fact that this is a eunuch? Well, Deuteronomy instructs the exclusion of eunuchs from the assembly of the Lord. If this person were alive today, they could absolutely find many Jewish communities that would welcome them in. But in their own time, eunuchs were not popular among any culture especially the Jewish community, who associated eunuchs with foreign religions and the various foreign powers that had subjugated them over the years. What is more, only prisoners of war and enslaved persons were castrated in the first place. So despite this eunuch's connection to their queen's wealth and power, none of it was truly theirs. Of higher status than the average slave, but not exactly free, this was yet another way our story's eunuch did not fit into any social class. Finally, in overhearing the eunuch reading aloud from Isaiah, Philip learns one last thing about them. They are not fully Gentile, yet as a foreign eunuch, they could never become fully Jewish. In religion too, this figure defies social binaries, another reason to shun them. So, the text continues, Philip runs. He runs, but not away from the chariot. He runs towards the chariot, heeding the urging of the spirit to get as close as possible to this person whom the world says he should avoid. In today's gospel reading, Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another as he loves. And is this not exactly what Jesus' love looks like, running eagerly towards the world's outcasts? On Tuesday, my friend Laura pointed out how Philip's actions resonate extra deeply with autistic folk, not only in Philip's willingness to defy social norms, but also in his enthusiasm. You know that feeling when you've learned something new, read an amazing book, or watched an amazing show, and you've just got to tell someone about it or you'll burst? That's Philip in this story, so eager to talk about his faith that he'll sprint after a chariot in the hot desert sun. Autistic people are especially familiar with this experience. We develop intense passions for things, which are often called special interests. I doubt it will shock any of you who know me to learn that one of my special interests since childhood has been the Bible. When Laura opened my imagination up, to reading this text through an autistic lens, the story came alive for me in a new way. I could link Philip's eagerness to how I jump at any chance to info dump about my special interests to a willing audience, not unlike what I'm doing right now. And while many non-autistic people assume that this autistic way of conversing is self-centered or produces one-sided exchanges, for us it's a helpful tool for relating to other people. 
many of us struggle to connect using more typical social conventions like small talk. So oftentimes, in social situations, we'll wait for an opening, the slightest link to our favorite thing, and then we'll latch onto it and start talking. I can imagine that's what Philip's doing, calling after the chariot, Hey, I heard you talking about Isaiah. I like Isaiah too. In fact, that reminds me of this other guy who's really cool. But sometimes to make the connection to our special interests, we commit a little social faux pas. On Tuesday, Laura suggested that the first question Philip asks the eunuch is such a blunder. Once he's caught up, panting and sweaty to the chariot, the question Philip opens with is, Do you really understand the things you're reading? Hmm. Sounds kind of condescending, man. Are you implying that someone like the eunuch could never understand scripture? If I were in Philip's sandals and had just asked a complete stranger that question, I'd immediately wince. Great, Avery. In your eagerness to talk about your favorite thing, you've come off as an arrogant, know-it-all jerk. Again. But the eunuch is gracious about it. They reply with, How could I possibly understand if no one will guide me? and an invitation to this total stranger to hop up into their chariot and chat about it. This desert road truly is a liminal space where social conventions erode away. A question that might normally be rude is welcomed, and strangers who are completely foreign to each other become conversation partners, as we'll see in this next segment of the Acts 8 reading. Now, the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humbling, justice was denied him. Who can detail his descendants, for his life is carried off from the earth? Responding to this, the eunuch asked Philip, I implore you, whom is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? So Philip opened his mouth and, beginning with this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to the eunuch. That question the eunuch asks Philip, who is this prophet talking about, is not just a polite conversation starter. At Tuesday Talkback, we decided that the eunuch is urgently interested in the answer. Why? The chapter from which the eunuch is reading is Isaiah 53, which is part of a collection of texts commonly known as the Servant Poems, or Songs of the Suffering Servant. And it makes a lot of sense to me that this is a portion of scripture that would be of supreme interest to a eunuch. After all, the eunuch has a lot in common with this mysterious servant figure, who in the verses quoted here is described as someone humbled or humiliated, and, depending on how you translate the verse, as being at risk of dying without offspring. Looking a little earlier in Isaiah 53, the servant is also described as being disfigured and despised and shunned by others. If I were the Ethiopian eunuch reading this text, I wouldn't be able to help but think, hey, shunned, shamed, thought of as disfigured? This servant sounds a lot like me. So if this person is beloved by God, even if humans hate him, could I be loved by God too? Thus, for the eunuch, this question of who Isaiah is talking about is not just a fun thought exercise. 
It's what Reverend Broderick Greer calls theology of survival, explaining that, while some do theology from the perches of power and privilege, others of us do theology as a form of survival. Never at one point during my short 25 years has my way of thinking about and reflecting upon God, scripture, church, or life have I not wrestled with how these realities intersect with my own lived experience. Theology as survival develops out of necessity, out of a situation in which we have nowhere else to turn. Outside of seminaries and without fancy book deals, marginalized persons are doing what Greer calls theology on the go, theology on the streets. Truly, that's the kind of theology that the eunuch is engaged in, theology on the wide wilderness road when Philip comes to him. As Austin Hartke puts it, our eunuch is poring over scripture and teasing out answers because they had to in order to survive as a gender nonconforming, racially marginalized, royally subjugated person outside the bounds of the faith they felt so drawn to. Though parts of scripture like Deuteronomy's mandates against eunuchs offer justification to exclude them from temple life, this Ethiopian eunuch suspects that Isaiah offers a second opinion on the matter. For the eunuch, figuring out whether the scriptures they've been told hold only rejection for them might actually feature somebody like them, might actually hold God's affirmation of them, is a vital matter. As a queer person, and as an autistic person, I've been there, and I imagine a lot of you have been too. Maybe you've gotten used to your ideas about scripture or church life being dismissed because you are young or because you're a woman or a person of color or disabled or don't have the right education or any number of things. Maybe you have internalized that implied question, who are you to tell us what's in scripture or what church should be like? I return to Reverend Greer and his theology of survival, which he says develops in the face of this kind of delegitimization of marginalized interpretations of scripture. He says, for decades, many of us have been told that our experience of God, our interpretations of scripture, our experience of the church is invalid. We have been told that any pain we've endured or suffering we've survived has just been a part of God's plan. I stand here today to say enough. Like so many of us, the eunuch seems unsure whether they have the authority to declare for sure that Isaiah really holds words of affirmation for the likes of them, that those the world despises are God's beloved. After all, remember their answer to Philip's question, do you understand what you are reading? How could I possibly, if no one will guide me? The eunuch may have been told that, as a foreigner and as a eunuch, as one cut off from God's community, their interpretation of scripture is invalid. They can't seem to believe the good news they've found in Isaiah until it's confirmed by someone whom humans have granted a bit more authority. Well, if it's confirmation the eunuch needs, the spirit provides it. 
She sends Philip with his love for talking about scripture to guide the eunuch like they need. And as our talkback guest Q put it on Tuesday, where the eunuch had previously been met with doors shut in their face, Philip opens doors wide, affirming and building upon what they've seen for themselves in scripture. When the eunuch asks whom the prophet Isaiah is talking about when he describes a disfigured, humiliated servant, Philip connects the Isaiah text to Jesus. Now, Christians in our era must be cautious when we connect any figure of the Jewish prophetic texts to Jesus. The author of Isaiah 53 was not talking about Jesus, and for our Jewish neighbors, this text is very much not about him. But we can see the similarities between this servant figure of Isaiah and what Jesus experienced in his own life. Ah, yes, I imagine Philip replying. If you like the suffering servant here, you'll really like Jesus. He was also subjected to rejection and shame. In fact, there's something Jesus once said about eunuchs that I think you would really appreciate. Tell me more. I imagine the eunuch replying, settling in to hear Philip's story, to ask more questions and add more comments whenever Philip pauses for breath. And, as we imagined at Tuesday's talkback, when Philip got to today's gospel reading, repeating Jesus' command to love one another as Jesus loved, and Jesus' assurance that, you did not choose me, I chose you. Perhaps the eunuch replied, oh, I see a connection between that and this part of Isaiah. Look! And proceeded to read from chapter 56, God's promise to eunuchs and to foreigners that if they cultivate God's commandments, they will not be cut off. And maybe Philip, who had never had reason to notice the similarities there, who needed someone who was themselves a foreigner and a eunuch to point it out to him, laughed in excitement. Yes, yes, exactly. We are all invited into God's chosen family. I believe that the eunuch enriched Philip's faith too, taught Philip too, because when we share the insights that only we, with our unique identities and histories, could have, we delve ever deeper into God's word together. And that's how, by the time the chariot came to water, Philip was more than willing to baptize his new friend. Let's read that last portion of our Bible passage. Now, as they were going along the road, they came upon some water. And the eunuch declared, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? So, they commanded the chariot to stop, and the two of them went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized them. And when they went up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord whisked Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, yet went on their way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns, until he came to Caesarea. We have come to the eunuch's last question. What might prevent me from being baptized? And we can imagine a whole number of answers. Well, we've had a great talk, but you're a eunuch. You're a Gentile. You're an Ethiopian and tied to foreign royalty at that. 
But Philip's answer is not one of words, but action. When the eunuch stops the chariot, Philip gets out with them, and together they wade into the water. There is nothing to say, only good fruit that lasts to be born. In the form of baptism performed and received, the affirmation that God's love is for everyone, just as we are. And that last bit is important, that the eunuch is not welcome to join Christ's community if they go through major transformation first, eroding away the various aspects of their identity that make them who they are. No. As trans theologian Justin Tannis writes, the eunuch brings the particularity of their gender to their encounter with Philip and ultimately to their relationship with God. The eunuch is not baptized in spite of being a eunuch or after a lengthy session of apologetics explaining their gender to Philip, but simply at the point at which they passed a body of water. Bringing our whole selves just as we are is part of the integrity of our witness to God. In this story, we see that God does not ask us to put aside who we are in order to be a part of the community of faith, but rather calls to us as we are in our specificity. This, friends, is the good news of Jesus. This is what it means to love like Jesus. It is to love one another, not only regardless of differences, but also through and in our differences. To love like Jesus is to refuse to let systemic barriers get in the way of love and relationship while respecting and celebrating our diversity. The eunuch's identity does not keep them from being baptized. After all, the very things that made the eunuch excluded and stigmatized by human beings are the same things that drew them to the God of Isaiah and the God of Jesus. Their unique experiences and insights enrich the community of Christ. The same thing goes for the unique experiences and insights that form you. We need your questions, your gifts, your voice in order to be whole, in order to abide deeper in God's love together. That is what I find in this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's what I found at that Tuesday talk back session, where I came to cherish the story even more than ever. As everyone present added to the conversation, our many differences did not cancel each other out. They wove together in surprising and powerful ways, so that by the end of our conversation, this Acts 8 story shimmered like a vibrant tapestry before my mind's eye. Beautiful, yet still unfinished. This tapestry is one that can always benefit from more threads woven in. Your threads. So, I humbly invite you to join the conversation. Come, weave the threads that only you can add to the tapestry. Together, we journey towards wholeness. I meant what I said at the end of the sermon. Please join in on the conversation. 
reach out to me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com or visit me on social media at Blessed Are the Binary Breakers on Tumblr and Instagram, as well as at Binary Breakers on Twitter. After all, there are so many more places to take this little passage. We need perspectives that help explore it in light of the imperialist and white supremacist type evangelism that has so poisoned Christianity. Can this story help us see a better way to talk about our faith without imposing it on others? We also need perspectives that help dig deeper into how ethnicity and race factor in. What about intersex voices, immigrant voices, interfaith voices, more disabled voices? It is always astounding to me how such a short story can yield such richness the more people are brought in to read it together. I want to close this episode by listing out some of the places you can go for even more of those perspectives that have been collected in books and online over the decades. First off, there's Peterson Toscano's beautiful performance based on the Ethiopian eunuch story in his work Transfigurations, Gender Outlaws in the Bible. I'll include a link to where you can watch the video online free in the episode transcript. Next up is the scholarship that Chris Page has gathered into their book Otherwise Christian. If you're interested in considering more about how to refer to the Ethiopian eunuch so that you don't have to keep calling them the Ethiopian eunuch, or more about how the various intersections of this figure's identity impact the story, or how this figure relates to another eunuch found in the book of Jeremiah named Ebed-Melech, that's the place to go. Transforming by Austin Harkey is another book that has some great content on this story. Finally, there's Victoria Kolakowski's influential essay, The Concubine and the Eunuch, which you can read in full at the link I'll share in the episode transcript, and which doesn't only discuss Acts 8, but also Jesus' own self-identification with eunuchs in Matthew 19. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Hopefully you'll be hearing from me again in mid-June. In the meantime, be good to yourself. Know that your unique perspectives are vital to the well-being of the whole human community. So go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.